0: From WSC-FM and HD1 Columbia, I'm Justin Walsh.
1: And I'm Lydia Blackstone. This is Politically Inclined from WUSC News. Coming up on this week's show, we'll talk with aspiring abolitionist podcast host and student Janelle Moore about the recent controversy surrounding protests on campus, what she thinks about the university's response, and how USC can better toe the line between condoning free speech and allowing hate speech.
0: Also, these protests might leave you asking, how can you be a better ally to marginalized students at our university? USC student Lauren Workman is here later in the show to discuss her thoughts on the protest and what the peers of minorities on campus can do to better support them. All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Politically Inclined.
1: First, the news.
2: Live from WSC News, I'm Ward jealous. USC is scheduled to restart their on-demand COVID-19 saliva testing tomorrow on Davis Field. The testing will take place on weekdays from 10 a.m. to noon. The testing initiative, which delivers rapid results to students in less than 48 hours, was halted last week after a key lab staffer became sick. According to the University of South Carolina COVID-19 dashboard, there are currently 1,461 active cases of coronavirus on campus. Updated numbers will be released tomorrow afternoon. With kickoff right around the corner for Gamecock football, Ryan Olenski and Colin Hill are still battling it out for that week one quarterback position. Olenski and Hill have both been named the player of the day after the last two scrimmages. As WSC's Louis Donofrino reports, head coach Will Muschamp is set to announce his pick after the third scrimmage
3: this week. With kickoff of the All-SEC season just under three weeks away, the battle for starting quarterback has been a ferocious one between Colin Hill and Ryan Holinsky. Many thought Coach Will Muschamp would name his starter after the second scrimmage this weekend, but wouldn't give an answer as to who's getting the week one nod. It's been a close competition all preseason, with both quarterbacks winning the player of the day in each of the two scrimmages respectively. Players and coaches alike have also taken the right steps to remain neutral when commenting on each QB. This will be Hill's fourth season under offensive coordinator Mike Bobo's offense, while Coach Muschamp has said Holinsky has been acclimating to it well. There have been indications made by coaches that the week one starter will be decided after the third scrimmage this weekend in order to allow them two weeks of reps with the first team before the season opener on September 26th. Louis DeNofrio, WUSC News.
2: As coronavirus cases continue to rise, South Carolina mourns its first pediatric death from the disease. This news comes as South Carolina has now confirmed over 123,000 cases of COVID-19. WSC Spencer Buckler reports. DHEC announced today a South Carolina child has died due to the coronavirus. The death was a pediatric death, which means the child was under 17 years old. Officials say the child lived in Sumter County. This is one of 19 deaths that DHEC announced today. The state also reported 590 new confirmed cases of the virus today. Confirmed cases are now over 123,000, and confirmed deaths are over 2,700. Spencer Buckler, WUSC News, Columbia. Fire officials now say the El Dorado fire that is currently wreaking havoc on California was started by a pyrotechnic device used in a gender reveal party. This fire is just one of the many wildfires in California that pose serious threats to the state and is now spread to over 7,000 acres of land. California fire officials say that the fire is only 7% contained. With the presidential election coming up soon, the NAACP has launched an advertising campaign to help with South Carolina's black voter turnout. South Carolina is one of eight states that could swing the election in November. As WC's Sarah Hudak-Jeffrey reports, the NAACP aims to increase voter turnout by over 5% this year in the upcoming election.
4: On Friday, the NAACP launched an advertising campaign to help increase black voter turnout in South Carolina and in battleground states. Black voters in South Carolina are one of the key voting blocks in the state, and black voters in the states of Florida, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin can swing the election. This campaign is called, quote, Black Voices Change Lives, unquote, and the ads will run in both radio and digital format through September. The NAACP states that the campaign aims to increase black voter turnout by more than 5% compared to 2016. Black voter turnout actually decreased for the first time in 20 years, from 66% in 2012 to 59% in 2016. NAACP President Derek Johnson said, quote, This pandemic shows just how important it is to elect people who stand with us and fire the ones who don't. In this time of crisis, each of us is obligated to make sure that all people in our communities vote, unquote. This is Sarah hudak Jeffrey with WSC News.
2: The stock market was closed today for Labor Day and it's currently 84 degrees outside, clear skies with a low of 64 tonight. The high for tomorrow is 89 with a low of 71. I'm Marjorie and you're listening to WSC News. It's 6:11. We've been
5: angry.
0: We've been hurt. We've been lonely.
5: We've been pressured. We've been ashamed.
6: We've been miserable. We've been hopeless.
5: We've been lost.
2: We've been labeled. We've been invisible. We've been controlled. We've been judged.
0: If you're one of the more than 26 million teens living in the U.S. today, chances are you'll go through your share of tough times. Let's face it, being a teen isn't easy. We know because we've been there. We've been accepted. We've been supported. We've been confident. We've been brave. Check out ReachOut.com to hear teens share their own stories on how they've made it through tough times. You might even find ways to deal with all you're dealing with. Because we've been there, we can help each other.
5: We've been inspired.
6: We've been determined.
5: We've been acknowledged. We've been given a chance.
0: We've been there. there. We've We've been 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 there. We can help us.
6: A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Inspire USA Foundation, and the Ad Council.
1: You're listening to Politically Inclined from WUSC News. I'm Lydia Blackstone. USC has received controversy in the past couple of weeks for its handling of protests from non-students on campus. A statement from President Bob Caslin said the university condones free speech and encouraged students to engage with outside protesters peacefully. However, many students thought that what the protesters were saying qualified as hate speech and it shouldn't be allowed on campus. Students have called the university officials to do more to condemn hate speech at USC, but the issue has lost some attention with since coronavirus cases continue to skyrocket at the university. Here with me now to continue the conversation on these protests is student and host of the aspiring abolitionist podcast, Janelle Moore. Janelle, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, how are you? Doing great, doing great. Glad to have you on. Um, So first I'll just start it off is, do you think that these protesters should even be allowed on the USC campus?
5: Yeah, absolutely not. I think the biggest thing that we kind of find when we struggle with the university and kind of things moving forward as far as conduct with outside agitators is that a lot of times we take cues from the state house um, as far as a state legislation, as a state institution. um, We kind of defer to them as far as like laws and guidelines um, for handling people who are outside of the student population. South Carolina is unfortunately one of the four, one out of four states in the United States that doesn't have any hate crime legislation. Um, and I am would be remiss to kind of forget that that plays such a large role in how our university may kind of react or respond to hate speech legislation or hate speech on campus. Um, I think until we have a little bit more guidance from the state House, we're not really going to be able to kind of figure out how as a university we fit in that um, because free speech is so I guess, large in, in context and in definition here in South Carolina without the true uh, and meaningful definition of what hate speech would be, um, not even just on our campus, but just in the state in general. Um, so I think that's definitely tying the university down. Um, so I'm not sure what our next step should be.
1: Not sure what the next step should be. However, do you think on campus with dealing with the students and how they respond to it, do you think the university could be doing something different um, on their end?
5: Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we have to worry about is safety of our students um, and well-being. I think a lot of times when we think of safety, we kind of pigeonhole it a lot of times into physical safety. Right. So nobody was physically harmed. um, But we have to kind of take into context the emotional harm, the emotional damage that these protesters, or these agitators can have on students. I mean, more specifically, I mean, the comment that was made towards Izzy, um, you know, go back home, you know, go back to Australia. You know, what does that even mean? I mean, and then you have kind of this agitation of Black Lives Matter isn't real. I mean, you have anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric um, on campus. I mean, so it kind of detracts from a lot of the inclusiveness that a lot of student organizations on campus are trying to foster. Um, And I think that's the type of behavior that we don't want. Right. So just kind of how to how as a university do we continue to advocate for our values um, against these outside agitators to make sure that our idea of safety isn't just physical, um, but also a community safety that goes beyond that idea of physical well-being, but also emotional and mental well-being.
1: Do you think it is better for students when protesters come and they're saying negative things that could be considered as hate speech? Do you think it's better for the student uh, to keep on walking or to counter protest?
5: I mean, I think that's such a, you know, weird question to ask, right? It's just like, what what do you do in that situation? I think a lot of times I think of this video kind of like microaggressions, right? So you describe microaggressions as mosquito bites. Um, a lot of us, we have been bitten by mosquitoes a million times, but I know we've always had like a day where it just seems like the mosquitoes are getting us down like, Just, you know, a lot like, you know, we have 15, 20 mosquito bites. And I think that's kind of the same thing when it comes to macroaggressions. A lot of times you can say, yeah, just keep on walking with the protesters. But we don't really know like what number mosquito bite those protesters might be. I mean, that might be mosquito bite 15, 16, 20. I mean, I think about students of color that are coming back on campus after a summer of just you know, a summer of what it was, just racial unrest um, and racial just dis- disparity all across the board between COVID and police brutality. Um, so, I mean, of course, it might be easier just to say, just keep it moving, but this might be some students' only feeling of, of safety, of security, of agency, kind of in this fight against, you know, racial discrimination, against kind of getting that authority and agency back um, when moving in these majority white spaces. Um, so, of course, I mean, it may seem very simple to just, signal to keep going. But some people just may be tired. um, And I'm no one to tell somebody to just stop fighting, honestly. So
1: yes, so Izzy Rushton, our um, student body president, she got up there and said her opinion that she believes that counter protesting them and giving them attention gives them a voice. Um, Do you think that what do you think about Izzy saying that and being out there?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we have to remember about Izzy's role is that she's kind of, you know, concocted in between administration and students, right? So just kind of debilitating between, you know, concerns of administration and concerns of student and sometimes meeting them in the middle, right? And I think we kind of take that, like, functionality out of her job a lot of times, I mean, because that's incredibly difficult. I mean, because from a completely student concern, right, you know, it's just like – Dump it, you know, just counter protest, but also just kind of like functioning in these meetings as our only student representative. A lot of times, like you kind of have to stay in that neutral or middle ground. And I think that's what Izzy's trying to do Um, is just make sure that she's advocating for both administrators and students um, and just trying to find the perfect middle ground, um, which is difficult. Um, And that's why she has people like me and other people in student government to kind of advocate for our concerns like more explicitly. Um, And I think that's the beauty of our organization.
1: So we saw Izzy out there, but a lot of people were like, where is Caslin? Where was he? Um, how do you think that Caslin responded to this incident?
5: I mean, honestly, I have no clue. Right. You know, besides the letter, besides the email, I mean, that's really the only surefire reaction that I have for President Caslin. I mean, I think what we're looking for, especially in student governments, working for to create some more student, you know, student led boards, right, student centered focus groups. Um, kind of fine-tuning that idea of hate speech and what that would look like on campus. I know Izzy and Hannah are already working towards that with Julian, our new vice president of diversity, inclusion, and equity, um, and also working with Dr. Tate to kind of figure out, again, this idea of student well-being and student community. Um, so it's, I mean, it's also great kind of being in these like senior roles in student government and getting to help kind of formulate these opinions, um, but also just trying to get all of these different voices to the table. So. Um, continuing to create an inclusive space, continuing to reach out to our external partners. Um, so AAAS, a lot of these same organizations that we worked with over the summer for 2020 revision, Year Vision, bringing them back into the fold, you know, asking them questions. How do you feel about that? How are your members feeling? You know, I'm making sure that in addition to student government opinions, right, that we're bringing in all these external organizations that have a lot more at stake sometimes, with, you know, besides this big student governing body.
1: Yes, and Janelle, you are an aspiring abolitionist and you have a podcast. Um, tell me yeah. about your podcast.
5: So my podcast, The Inspiring Abolitionists, it's a bit of a brainchild, kind of this idea that slavery is gone, but the ramifications of it may not be, right? When we have this idea of prison labor, when we have this idea of inequity, large scale from COVID to you know, unemployment, to healthcare, access to different resources from education, um, and thinking about how our legislative process and the policies that we pass kind of create and endorse this type of environment, Um, that we kind of have created as normal, right? So since COVID, everyone's just kind of like, I don't want to go back to this idea of normal. Um, So aspiring abolitionists is my way of, mobilizing and advocating for people to become more politically knowledgeable. So this new normal, we don't have to adjust to it, right? We continue to create and foster a different type of environment past COVID. um, And the way that we do that with our political agency is through knowledge. Um, And that's what my podcast is all about. It's just trying to give that knowledge back to people um, from someone that sounds a little bit more familiar than like an older person on C-SPAN, just someone that they can relate to a lot more, you know, easily.
1: Last question for you. Um, you're, you say your podcast, you're giving out knowledge, lots of that. You obviously have a lot of that on this topic. Um, where do you think this eventually is going to take you?
5: Um, honestly, I would be curious to see. Um, I'm currently in the process of studying for the law school admissions desk. Um, so for my second time, um, so kind of going through the law school's admissions process right now. Um, I'm looking forward to doing some more reformative policy. I'm really interested in drug policy and cannabis legalization. And this idea of like mobilizing communities of color to take back their agency, um, specifically more politically and also economically. Um, so I'm excited to see kind of where politics will take us in the next five to 10 years. Because I think we're definitely at the precipice um, of a new age. Right. So just kind of trying to strap on and get excited, try not to let outside things make get me too down um, and just trying to look forward to hopefully you know an excited november um and also just a great start to a new america right
1: i'm gonna have to cut you off there but thank you so much janelle for talking with us today that was aspiring abolitionist podcast host janelle moore we will be right back
2: dreaming of becoming a professional race car driver speeding around empty parking lots is a start but going pro takes time so does quitting smoking It's not about stopping in one day. It's about starting with day one. You just need to take that first step. Get started on your journey toward a smoke-free life with the American Cancer Society. We'll give you the support and resources you need to quit smoking. The finish line is closer than you think. Learn more at cancer.org slash smokeout.
0: You're listening to Politically Inclined from WSC News. I'm Justin Walsh. Conversations surrounding the recent protests on campus have mainly focused on the university's response, but not on how students can be better allies for their marginalized peers. Many allies say that there is a fine line that more privileged students need to walk. For example, lifting up the voices of minorities instead of talking over them. And that it is important that we discuss this topic in conjunction with institutional issues, because change begins with us. Here to talk with me more about being a better ally is U.S. senior Lauren Workman. Lauren, thank you so much for being with me today.
6: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. So obviously, this has been a hot topic around campus. lately. Can you just give me your overall thoughts on the recent campus demonstrations and the protesters themselves?
6: Yeah, so basically, I think we've got a group of people who you know, think they know their rights and think they have a right to be on our campus, whether or not that's the case is, you know, lawyer's business, not mine. But um, they're coming to our campus to spread this kind of hate. And I don't think we pay thousands of dollars to come here and deal with that. So I think it's the university's prerogative to figure out a way to get them off campus. If I know anything about the law, it's that there's always a loophole. So
0: absolutely. And so just to start off, like, can you just tell me why the Black Lives Matter movement is such an important cause to back just like coming from your perspective why others should care and why we should take this these demonstrations so seriously.
6: Yeah, I think it's about, you know, humanization. We are all here and we all this we all have the right to be here. And Black Lives Matter is important because you can't look at the world we're living in, the world we have been living in and not see that Black lives have been under attack and will continue to be under attack until we do something about it. Um, So I think it's important that we recognize BLM, but also recognize all the struggles that are inherent in that. It's not just race, it's class and sexuality and sex. And we have to make sure that all Black lives matter, not just Black men, not just Black um, women, children, everyone. They all matter. And so, yeah.
0: That's great, and I know so. A lot of the hot talk, hot topic, has been around like the university responding to these issues. Uh, do you think? Do you believe yourself that the university should allow these demonstrations to take place on campus? Should they be taking action to stop them? What are your thoughts on that?
6: Absolutely not. Um, I don't think they have the right to be here. We do. We pay money to be here. They not only are they standing against everything the university claims to be for in the Carolina creed. They also weren't wearing their masks. They were putting us all in danger physically, if not emotionally. So um, no, I do not think they should be here. And yes, I think the university should keep them from coming back.
0: Absolutely. And so uh, a large like topic behind this is the concept between free speech and hate speech. Many, uh, a few people can say that these campus protesters are simply expressing their right to free speech. Do you believe this is more free speech or hate speech? And where do you draw the line between the two?
6: I definitely think this is hate speech. Um, I know, you know, you have a first amendment right to say whatever you want, obviously, but there's also, you know, the rule that says you can't yell fire in a crowded building. Um, we have black students on campus. We have gay students on campus. Um, people's identities were under attack when they were saying those things. And I think that you can kind of draw the line there. Were they not threatening us with physical harm? It was emotionally harmful for those to be, for them to be saying those things as we're trying to walk to class, go about our lives. So I think that's where you kind of have to draw the line
0: in my opinion. And um, I know we've been talking about this a little bit during the show today, but so a big part of these campus protests are the reaction they're getting out of students. So in your take, Obviously, it's hard not to vocalize your own opinion on an issue, but do you believe it's more effective for students to verbally combat these protesters or just go about their business, not pay them any attention, even though it could be difficult when your views are so opposing?
6: Yeah, I mean, I, for one, am not going to tell anyone, especially the people who were under attack with the words they were saying how to respond but I do think you know there is kind of a responsibility as someone who isn't being attacked by the words they're saying to shield those who are. So I would say it would be saying things like, S- these protesters are on Davis field. If you have a way to get around Davis field, don't go there today. If you are black, if you are minoritized or marginalized in any kind of way, it's like shielding them from having to deal with that. Because like I said, we don't come here to deal with that. And so if you feel comfortable to obviously, you know, tell them why they're wrong. And that that is good and that is perfect. But I also feel like we shouldn't have to do that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, so I know right now you are a senior. You've been here for a while. So during your previous three years at USC, have you witnessed any um sort of protests or displays to this extreme? Like, has this been the worst of it? Have there been others in the past that compare?
6: Um, This definitely... I don't say I don't know if I would say this was the worst. Actually, I remember when the posters were put up in Gambrell Hall uh, using some slurs against Black people. I don't know if that was my freshman or sophomore year, but I think that one was a little bit different because it felt like. It was an attack from within the community, whereas these folks are coming from they're not a part of us. They're just coming here to cause problems. So I don't know if this would be the worst for me personally. I also wasn't ever outside when the protests were going on, so I didn't have to deal with that personally. But I can't imagine what it would have been like to walk, just go into class and hear that.
0: Absolutely. And my last question to you. So what in your opinion, what can peers of minorities and allies themselves do to truly inspire change? for this cause?
6: Definitely. I think it would, the most important thing is to be careful about the way you go about calling for that change and make sure that it's not a performance Um, because it's not just about what you say. It's about what you do. It's not just about you read what you read. It's about what you do. And so make sure that when you're doing the work and going out and helping people and making that change, you want to see in the world that you're also making sure it's not a self-improvement project for you and make sure that you are looking out for all, you know, um, marginalized folks, not just the ones that you care about at the time or um, stuff like that and not make it a political move because human rights are human rights. That shouldn't be a partisan issue.
0: Very well said. So thank you so much for being with me, Lauren. Really appreciate it.
6: No
1: problem.
0: That was USC senior Lauren Workman.
1: Well, that's all for this week's episode of Politically Inclined.
0: Make sure to tune in every Monday at 6 p.m. for the week's biggest political stories. Politically Inclined is production by WSC News and is produced by Stephanie Justice and Ward Jollis.
1: The outreach coordinator for Politically Inclined is Julie Crosby, and the music for Politically Inclined is called Fluffy by Smith the Mister. You can find other news shows and WSC podcasts at org. Live from WSC News in Columbia, I'm Lydia Blackstone.
0: And I'm Justin Walsh. This is Politically Inclined.